Revelation 18:21-24. Dan seorang malaikat yang kuat mengangkat sebuah batu sebesar batu kilangan lalu melemparkannya ke dalam laut. Katanya, demikianlah Babel kota besar itu akan dilemparkan dengan keras ke bawah dan ia tidak akan ditemukan lagi. Dan suara pemain-pemain kecapi dan penyanyi-penyanyi dan peniup-peniup seruling dan sangka kala tidak akan kedengaran lagi di dalammu. Dan seorang yang ahli dalam sesuatu kesenian tidak akan ditemukan lagi di dalammu. Dan suara kilangan tidak akan kedengaran lagi di dalammu. Dan cahaya lampu tidak akan bersinar lagi di dalammu. Dan suara mempelai laki-laki dan pengantin perempuan tidak akan kedengaran lagi di dalammu. Karena pedagang-pedagangmu adalah pembesar-pembesar di bumi. Oleh ilmu sihirmu semua bangsa disesatkan. Dan di dalamnya terdapat darah nabi-nabi dan orang-orang kudus dan darah semua orang yang dibunuh di bumi. continue to be thankful for our church members who are sharing their language with us and uh, so thankful for that again today. So if you would turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 17, we'll be in both 17 and 18 today and as you turn there, uh, many of you know uh, this past week Luke and my son and I were in Honduras uh, together And part of our task there was actually to prepare the sanctuary uh, that the church that we serve with, or I have served with for uh, 14 or 15 years, uh, today was there, is there right now, is their first time to gather since COVID began. And uh, the country had, uh, it was not, uh, they were not allowed to meet in a large gathering, so they were meeting in small groups at different times. Uh, but even right now, they're meeting for the first time. So part of our job was to, again, like dust everything off, clean everything up, uh, make, make the room ready for them. Uh, but they're meeting right now. So I thought it would be uh, good for us to simply pray for them as they are. You'll remember what that was like? To be apart even just for a few months. To be, when we first gathered back, man, I was a basket case, right? Uh, but uh, for them, for really uh, a year and a half or so, uh, and they have been faithful. They have been gathering in groups as best as they can. And they have been gathering over Zoom, which, I mean, Zoom, right? Uh, and so um, I just, yeah, let's, let's pray for them. The brothers and sisters of Nuevo Pacto, which means new covenant. So let's pray for them now. God, we thank you that, that there is the gathered church and that it means so much to us. Even as we were singing these songs and hearing each other's voices in the room and, and just what that means to us and, and how we have experienced separation before, we know the joy of gathering back together. So I pray right now for our brothers and sisters at Nuevo Pacto in Honduras. I pray, God, that you would, even right now, that they would be encouraged that they would be filled with this hope, with this joy. God, I, I pray that their time would be sweet, that it would do just as your word says, and it would stir them to love and good deeds, that they would uh, all the more proclaim that Christ is King. 
So God, I pray that you would use this time to magnify your name and to encourage your people. And we pray this in your son's name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. As I said, we are in Revelation 17 and 18 today. And uh, if you have been with us over the last several weeks, then maybe you knew that. You were just following along in the text as it goes. And so that's exactly where we are in this study. And, and we have been using a singular definition to kind of guide our time to make sure that we're focusing on the major things and not on the minor things of this book. And so that definition is this. At the book of Revelation, is a series of apocalyptic visions intended to make known the clear promise of Christ's coming return and eternal reign as a means to offer hope, expect obedience, and inspire worship. This is seen over and over and over in this book, right? There, in fact, today, I... uh, I find that today kind of zeroes in on some of that expected obedience from the people of God. But because of that, it, it does just that. It gives hope for those of us uh, who have not chosen yet to follow him. There is hope found in Christ. And anytime we find hope and have reason to surrender ourselves, it is a natural overflow that we give God the glory and praise that he most richly deserves. So this sermon is brought to you by the number two. Okay? Um, And so we will have two characters, two actions, and two options for us. So let's begin with two characters. Two characters. Before I tell you who those two are, let's read from the scripture to learn more about these two characters. So chapter 17, beginning in verse 1, says, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality, and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the dwellers on earth have become drunk. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was full of blasphemous names. And it had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and jewels and pearls, holding in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the impurities of her sexual immorality. And on her forehead was written a a name of mystery, Babylon the Great mother of prostitutes and of earth's abominations. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. So this first character is this woman, the prostitute. And what is described about her, quite honestly, doesn't sound great. It's this odd mixture of what might seem good, right? You get to things like she's adorned with gold and jewels and pearls and that uh, she's got this purple and scarlet and, and her clothing, but she's got a golden cup of abominations and impurities. This is like total opposites, right? What seems pleasant and good. And here's why. Because this woman represents the pleasures of this world. One pastor argues that the biggest challenge in the American church of today is that it is, it is not persecution from the world, 
but instead it's seduction by the world. Right? Even Charles Spurgeon, now not so modern, right? He said, I believe that one reason that the church of God at the present moment has so little influence over the world is because the world has so much influence over the church. Right? This is, this is the, the thought for the day. We're going to be seeing the difference between many, many ways, the difference between the world and the church. And too often, we can't even tell where the world ends and the church begins. I'm not just talking about this church. I'm talking about the American church. Now, that can be uh, an indictment on us. And, and I'll tell you, like, this is the, the point in the sermon where I can confess to you that I am a sinner. Now, I want you to know that, um, that not only while I was writing this sermon, but then again last night as I was reading over it again, and this morning as I read it again, I was drawn to confession. Um, for the all too many ways that I choose to look or act or think like the world. I guess, uh, I guess that's part of sanctification, right? But I tell you, sanctification does not always feel great. Like, I'm really glad when you guys get sanctified. <laughs> right, but when it's like personal, like burning off the impurities, like put in the fire, man, that does not, in that moment, it doesn't always feel good being pruned. But uh, maybe for you to hear uh, that from your pastor, I don't, I don't uh, always enjoy that, but I know it is always best. You, maybe, maybe you might resonate with that. The truth is, though, the church generally looks just like the world. I mean, like, even think about this. Uh, like our spending, our spending looks the same. You know, uh, recent statistics tell us that only 5% of people that claim to be followers of Christ, so they, they check that box on the, on the survey, follower of Christ, only 5% of them uh, in America tithe. So that means 95% of the world don't give in that sacrificial, abundant way. Our, the way we understand sexuality looks the same, pretty much, almost exactly. The Barna Group did a study, states that 64% of Christian men look at pornography at least once a month. You know, the number is only 1% different. It's 65% for non-Christian men. Women, it's not a whole lot different. The, the Pew Center for research, tells us that over 50% of Christians, people, again, check that box. Yes, follower of Christ. Church-going, Bible-believing, or quote-unquote Bible-believing, say that sex outside of marriage is acceptable. Over half of Christians say that. Parenting, 
looks about the same, right? There's just as many kids with Christian parents focused on sports or grades or uh, allowing their kids to focus on video games or whatever the thing is, as there are from non-Christian parents. They're just allowing them to make idols of these things. And, and the truth is that the enemy has like two forms of attack, generally. Pleasure addiction or the power addicted state, meaning uh, like government or the rule and reign of the land to silence the church. Either, like they're gonna get us one way or the other. Like that's their plan at least, right? Either silence us by allowing us, by causing us or to tempt us to fall into the things of this world or persecute us. Like that's, that's the two options. Which leads us then to the next character. Right? Because the first character, this woman, is representative of the pleasures of the world, but this next one is the beast. This beast represents the persecution in the world. This is described about this beast. Again, uh, there are these two characters that ultimately lead to two possibilities. You can live for the pleasures of the world and be fulfilled briefly and be punished for eternity, or you can live in a way that you will be persecuted briefly and fulfilled for all eternity. Those are, you, those are the options. Does that make sense? Pleasures of the world, be, be fulfilled briefly. I, I don't want to pretend like that, that doesn't happen. Like for a moment, we're satisfied. I mean, it's fleeting. It's very fleeting. And, and maybe we're not even quite as satisfied as we think we are. But like there's, there's something about it that, that tempts us to want whatever the thing is. But it's, it's not long-lived. But over here we have accepting of Christ means that when we proclaim Christ rightly, we will be persecuted. Scripture tells us that but we will be fulfilled for all eternity. I want you to remember, you might be saying like, how is this like good news? Where's the hope in this? I thought that this was to give us hope. Remember who he's writing to? Not, not just us some 2,000 years later, but who he was writing to even then. These aren't just some proverbial people out there who on the other side of the world experience persecution in some difficult ways. We're talking about people that are currently experiencing like they're losing their life. They're like, they're, they're friends. They're, they're being beaten or enslaved or harmed or losing their job or, or being uh, put in prison. And this was, this was intended to provide encouragement, not confusion. So don't get lost in the seven heads. Ten horns. I, again, I don't want you to misunderstand me when I say those things. I'm not saying that it's inappropriate or wrong for us to ever study or uh, try to understand that. I'm saying that that wasn't really the intent of this text for all of that to be discerned. It was really intended for them to find hope. So how are they finding hope? 
Well, it could be that these are representing seven Roman emperors or seven empires. Overall, what this is is a representation of the complete, total, worldly strength and authority that is out there that is bringing harm and heartache and hardship to those that proclaim Christ. You might not know this, but uh, today is International Day to Pray for the Persecuted Church. There are organizations like Voice of Martyrs uh, called the church to pray on this day. So thought that it was so appropriate that on this very day that we would come to this passage where persecution is talked about. And so um, I want to... I want to do that. I want to just call us to for a moment. Pray for our brothers and sisters who experience persecution in a way that we do not. That even on a day like today, gathered um, potentially uh, illegally, gathered uh, at the risk of imprisonment, gathered at the risk of uh, losing their job. And so I just want us to pray for them. So maybe if you have, uh, if you're a note taker, uh, I was looking up some specifics to pray. And so I found, found these. And so uh, maybe write these down. One, pray that they would have courage to, to continue to be bold in proclaiming the gospel, speaking the truth. Pray that they would have contentment they would be find their greatest satisfaction and fulfillment in Christ. Pray that they would have comfort. Ask that God would give them a peace that passes all understanding. Pray that they would have compassion. You know, when, like, um, really that they would love their enemy. And then, then pray that they would have composure thinking about that one. I don't, I don't know that I've ever prayed for uh, persecuted brothers and sisters to have composure, but what this is saying is like, um, think about, you know, when maybe if you've ever been picked on, you try to like make sure you're composed enough to, to still be able to engage in the conversation and speak or whatever. Like this is far different than just being picked on, right? So pray that they would have composure as they speak the truth. So courage, contentment, comfort, compassion, and composure. I want to just ask that you take just a moment to pray quietly at your seat, and then uh, I will uh, close our, our time of prayer. So take time now to pray. God, I, I know that you are worthy of our complete surrender. And sometimes when we sing songs like I Surrender All, uh, I, I fear that we, we don't really grasp what all that might mean. But I pray that, one, that it is true for us, and then, two, I pray that for our brothers and sisters in persecuted lands that, that they would 
be able to speak that and sing that with honesty. So I pray, God, that you would give them courage. Courage to gather. Courage to proclaim. Courage to, to speak the truth. I pray that you would give them contentment, satisfaction in you and you alone. And when, when things are stripped away from them, and they lose their home or they lose their family or they lose their job, that they would find their contentment in you. Pray, God, that even during that, that they would find comfort in the Holy Spirit, that he would provide them peace that passes all understanding. Pray that you would give them compassion on the, on the persecutor. That they would, they would love their enemy. I pray that you would give them composure, that they would be able to speak with clarity and conviction God, I, I believe that you are worth surrendering our all to. So may we lift up our brothers and sisters. God, may we be faithful to do this, trusting that you hear and answer our prayers according to your plan. We pray this in your son's name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So as we have seen these two characters, the woman and the beast, we now see two actions. They're similar actions. The first is that the woman is devoured by God's purpose. In chapter 17, verse 16 and 17, it says that, right, that devour her flesh and burn her up. Verse 17, for God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose. Here's why this is so great. God wins, right? This is what's taking place here. It's like he, he tells them, this is what's going to take, devour, because God has put it into their hearts to carry out his purpose. Then the second action, I'll jump right to that, that the woman disappears by God's punishment. His judgment comes in chapter 18, verse 20 and 21. For God has given judgment for you against her, and the mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea. The woman is both devoured and disappeared by God's purpose and punishment. This is that he wins. And I'm just telling you right now, this is just a brief glimpse of what's happening, like what we're going to look at next week. And, uh... I don't know if you know me, but I have a tendency to get excited sometimes. But like next week, and the next week, I don't know. Have you ever read the end? Because <laughs> it's some kind of good. And I'm just telling you right now, it's not good just because I'm going to be excited. It's good because it's good. And, and so it's the kind of thing like you don't want to miss next week and the next week so much that you want to bring people with you. Like that's the kind of stuff we're going to be talking about, the ultimate victory where, where Christ wins it all. And so when we come, yeah, this is how we have hope. Not just because there was a, a woman who is like adorned in weird stuff and a cult, carrying a, a goblet of like evil, but because she loses to the king of kings and lord of lords. She, he reigns over all. You see that God's purpose always stands and God's punishment and judgment is always right. 
the woman of this world, the pleasures of this world, right? If that's what she represents, it's the pleasures of the world, they're fleeting, short-lived. So, so do not allow her to deceive you and bring you to believing that these momentary matters will bring you long-lasting joy. They will not satisfy. So, as a result, we have then two options. Right? Two characters, two actions, and now two options. Option number one. And you can love the world. You say, hey, we love the world here, right? I, I don't mean that kind of loving the world. Yes, we should love all the nations of the world. I'm for that, obviously. But this, I'm talking about loving the things of the world, the ways of the world. I mean, believe this. The world, I, I don't want to try to pretend like this isn't a reality. The world will give you fleeting pleasure. There will be pleasure there, but it will be short. The world will offer you material possessions, things that you, you think you can hold on to. The, the, the world will satisfy your momentary desires. They will even grant you brief security, right? The world will make you think that you've done enough, earned enough, worked hard enough, to grant you some kind of safety and provision. I mean, look, look at chapter 18, verse 7. She glorified herself and lived in luxury. Let's give her a moment of torment and mourning, since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. This is what she thinks of herself. She looks and says, like, I've got it made. I'm living in luxury. I've got the, I'm adorned with the purple and scarlet. I'm, I've got jewels and pearls and crowns and, and I'm, I'm holding this golden uh, goblet in my hand and I, I've got it, I'm sitting on my throne. She's, she's filling herself with pride and that is what the world will do, right? And the world, you will pat yourself on your back and say, I pulled myself up from my bootstraps and I made it all the way here, like rags to riches kind of story. That's what America offers. You can go from low man on the totem pole to like the, the next guy on the block, like keeping up with the Joneses, right? You get to do all that and you pat yourself on the back. Here's what she does. Chapter 18, she glorified herself. Chapter 17, verse 1, how is, how is she described as the great prostitute? Then in verse 5, Babylon, the great, she says. In verse 18, the great city. Verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 2, she's described then again as, as Babylon, the great. Verse 10, alas, you great city, you mighty city. Verse 16, again, great city. Verse, chapter 18, verse 19, describes as the great city with grew rich by her wealth. Over and over and over, patting herself on the back and saying that she is the greatest. Do you remember the portion we just talked about? This one who is proclaiming such greatness loses, right? It's 
done. So if she, like, you're, the power that you think you have, short-lived. This is the same woman that loses the battle. You can believe that the enemy will fill your mind with these kinds of things that you are, that you are great, that you are mighty, that you are strong, that you have security, that you have satisfaction you can find in yourself or in other people or in other things, that you can have enough stuff to meet all of your needs, that these will be, uh, that these pleasures won't just be fleeting or momentary, but they will last a lifetime. The enemy will allure you to believe that these fleeting gifts are actually long-lasting. That these momentary pleasures are eternal or, or even that they're worth sacrificing eternity for a chance to experience. Right? You'll, it, it would be better just to give it up just for a minute. And don't misunderstand me. If you're choosing the things of this world, you are choosing to reject the things of Christ. You may think that you're merely taking a nice gift from the world, but instead you're rejecting the greatest gift. So, we have option one, love the world. And option two, love the Lord. Why why would we choose to love the Lord? Now, it seems pretty obvious to me, right? Because over here, we have the world. The world which offers, like, short-term pleasures. And over here, persecution. So, from the, from the first look at it, everybody's going to choose over here, right? Like, who's choosing beatings and uh, heartache and hardship and imprisonment when we have, like, I'm getting my needs met and, and I, I have all the stuff I need and the things I want. But this is brief, momentary, and the, the long term of this is eternal condemnation. Forever separated from God. The long term of this, this brief momentary affliction is eternal life with Christ. The everlasting joy and peace that we hope for. So when you look at it that way, this should be the obvious answer, right? Because I'll take some short-term pain or difficulty for long-term excellence, right? I mean, we, we think about that in all kinds of stuff. We're, we're willing to like, do that in regards to uh, sports training. We're willing to do that in regards to studying for school or even work. Why? Because we want to get a paycheck. Like we'll go through the, the heartache of the job. But, like, but we don't always do that when it comes to our eternal matters, why would we then like, think about this? It, it seems obvious, but what does the scripture tell us for reasons that we should love the Lord instead of loving the world? Because he is conquered. He wins, right? 
this side, like if we're, if we're doing sides, this is the winning side. Now, I know we've gone through this before. I like winning. Like I am a competitive person. I don't, I don't like to lose the game. Like it doesn't matter how old you are. I will still pack you. Right, <laughs> like we'll, we'll 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 play the game, right? We play all in, but I like to win, and this is the 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 guaranteed, for sure, definitive win. That's what this is about. Listen, listen to chapter seventeen, verse fourteen. This isn't just me making this up. They will make war on the lamb, and the lamb will conquer them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. He's gonna win. The like. This is, the, this is the losing side. Why choose the losing side? Here's why. C.S. Lewis uh, says lots of things or has said lots of things, but this is probably the most famous thing I've ever heard from him. And I agree. He says, we are half-hearted creatures. We're fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who goes on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer to the holiday at the sea. Right? Like, we'll... We will fool around with short-lived, like, glimpses of something that we think might be nice. Because we can't even fathom the beauty of what God has to offer us. Right? Either one of these, there's there's short-lived things. Because life itself is short. Life is like a vapor. A mist. I've heard it said this way. Uh, This is a scripture reference, but I've heard it described this way. It's like what's left after a bubble pops. You know what's left after a bubble pops? Nothing. Just, hmm. Yeah, I get it. That's funny. Like, that's it. There's There's no riding the fence here. Jesus came to conquer all of this nonsense that we participate in. So so stop indulging in pornography. Stop being casual with sex. Stop seeking to achieve worldly success for that end in itself. Stop placing sports and stuff and video games as your idols. Stop filling your mind with filth. Stop excusing drunkenness. Stop looking like the world. Let's start looking like the church. David Platt says that in all these things, your problem is not that you desire pleasure too much, it's that you desire pleasure too little. Right? We're looking to the wrong thing to satisfy. We just prayed that our persecuted brothers and sisters would be content. How many of us are? We are missing the point entirely when we indulge in these things because we are missing the greatest pleasures. He He has conquered and he has called, right? Still there in verse 14. For those with him are called and chosen and faithful. When we choose to love God in this way, those who he has called, we do not have room to love the world. 
You can't serve two masters. You either love God or you love the world. Those are your options. When you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you don't have room. You don't have room to love the things of the world. So there's space left. And what we try to do somehow is love God in this way, and then we'll take like a slice, just like a piece, and we'll, we'll try to, like I surrender all doesn't mean I surrender some, some of the time. I surrender all means I lay it all at your feet. You get all of me. I give you my life. We can sing that song, and it's got a nice rhythm to it, and so we like singing out, but I hope and pray that we mean it. I surrender all, all to you I give. So what if he takes it? It's all to that. What if he says, okay? We we love the Lord because he has conquered, he has called, and he has commissioned Go to the very last verse of chapter 18. In her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and all who have been slain on earth. 17.6 describes being drunk with the blood of saints and the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. You know, those being persecuted that we were just praying for, they're not persecuted because they're silent. They're not persecuted because they are are quiet. They're persecuted because they're sharing Christ. They're seeking to make Christ known. In fact, sometimes that's, that's the only thing they're told. If you'll just be quiet, we won't punish you. We won't harm you if you'll just stop talking about Jesus. If you'll stop gathering to sing of his praise, if you'll just stop doing that, then we won't harm you. I wonder, are you willing to be a martyr? Maybe you say, well, I don't live in a country like that. Okay, are you willing to speak so boldly the truth of Christ that you would lose your job, your way of life, your home, your family, your friends. What if you don't get invited to the party anymore? Are you willing to do that? What if your your kid isn't going to make the, the team because you proclaim Christ, are you gonna are you willing to do that? He has called us to, to proclaim Christ no matter what the cost. Loving the Lord means there's no room to love anything else. think about some ways for us to respond. And I think first of those who may not know Christ. And maybe, again, maybe you're hearing 
these options today and you're hearing give up pleasures and get persecution. But I, I hope you hear more than that. I hope you hear turn away from the things of the world because the eternity that comes with it is wretched and painful and horrific. T turn away from yourself and your self-sustaining, I'm going to lean on my own understanding, I'm going to trust in myself, repent of that and trust in Jesus. Yeah, it might be hard. It might be challenging. In fact, the world tells us, I mean, the scripture tells us, expect it. Life is hard. But eternal life is filled with peace that passes all understanding. It's joy that's unspeakable. And the presence of of Christ himself. So turn from your sin and trust in Jesus right now. In fact, in just a minute when we stand to sing, I would encourage you to like make your way down the aisle and come to this room to the left. There will be some there that would love to talk to you about that, love to celebrate that with you, love to answer questions about that. But even as the musicians come, maybe, maybe it's not that you need to repent because you are a believer, but maybe it is that you need to confess like I have. Like I was reminded of as you were hearing about pleasures of this world, maybe it identified, you identified with some of those and thought, I look too much like the world. Maybe there's some sanctifying work that needs to happen for you today. So I would plead with you, confess right where you are and know that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins every single time. Maybe it is that you're reminded you've been far too silent. So I would urge you to proclaim. Proclaim that Christ is Lord. That he reigns over all and that he ultimately wins. Proclaim good news, gospel of Jesus Christ. Make him known. Whatever is that you are being called to, I just ask that you would respond as the Lord is leading you. Find hope in him. Find encouragement in him. And sing praises to him, for he is worthy of our praise. He is the one who is giving us hope. He is the one who is giving us not just things of, uh, for now or fleeting, but things for all eternity. He is the one that grants all of that to us. So let's praise him, for he is worthy of our praise. Would you stand with me now as we respond to the Lord?